Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Starting a Counseling Practice podcast, where we share stories of amazing, successful therapists from all around the world. And today we have the amazing Jane from Grow Your Private Practice in the UK, sharing her story of building a private practice and building a business and then helping other people build their businesses. Um throughout that process. So we are super lucky. I hope that you are very excited to dive into this juicy conversation with Jane. Hey, Jane. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to coming in, Miranda. It's really great to meet you and uh, yeah, come and have a chat with you today. (laughs) Yes. Do you want to share where you're located and even give your website address as we get started so people can kind of follow along and see who you are um, as they're listening if they wish? Okay, cool. So I'm Jane Travis. I live in um, the UK. I live in England in a place called Lincoln, which is a little town. Well, it's not that little, but it's a beautiful town with a great big, wonderful cathedral and a castle. It's very, very pretty. Um, I'm an ex-counsellor. I was a counsellor for 14 years, and then I've started helping other counsellors with the marketing. So you can find me at either janetravis.co.uk or growyourprivatepractice.co.uk. So I've got blogs and podcasts over on there if anybody wanted to have a look. Um, but yeah, I'm here from here in Lincoln. And it's quite it's always interesting speaking to people from the US because it's quite different, isn't it, the way that we do what we do. Yeah. It is, it's different and it's and it's very similar, <laughs> which is an interesting yes, exactly. space. Yeah. It's like it's so different and yet it's not. Um, and I think that's been a beautiful part of connecting through the internet, um, and connecting and making our world a little bit, um, smaller, um, in a good way. And I think that, um, even some of the things we're kind of talking about, about, um, some of the blocks that come up and some of the pieces of, of starting, becoming a counselor and then starting a business, starting a practice, like how that really starts to like pop in and, um, and it in, in kind of a universal way. So I'm I'm excited to get started. So I we always like to start here from the from the beginning, minute Ooh. or less. Why did you decide to become a counselor? Why did I decide to become a counselor? Because I'd had counseling myself and I just found it fascinating that they could somehow go from an, an ordinary conversation to just into the depths of my mind. And I thought, how do they do that? How do they? get all that stuff out of me and I just became more and more interested in how we tick I suppose a lot of people do that I suppose a lot of people I'm assuming a lot of people have counseling and then think yeah I'm interested it's it's been pretty a 50 50 spot on here that that's been a a space um, that people have connected in Um, sometimes they're like natural counselors where they're like people always just come to me and the other ones are like I went to counselors like how did you do that what's going on so somewhere in that space so at what point in your like educational journey did you like make the decision did you go straight through you know secondary school 
and through the experience, or did you take any any um, detours along the way to your counselor journey? Well, I became a counselor when I was in my forties, so I'd had you know I first went to my own personal counseling in my early twenties, been in and out of counseling all the way through, um, had a job, got married, had kids, got divorced, same old, same old. Um, <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> And there came a time when it was like, okay, I'm bored in the job that I'm doing. Um, I was working part-time just as a way to, you know, make some money with my kids. I was bored within the job that I was doing. And I thought, right, maybe I could, I just happened to see there was the counselling course. And I thought, I've always wanted to do that. Maybe now is the time. And that's what I did. And I stepped in and I just never stepped out again. And how long from the point that you started the counseling course until you could practice independently in the UK? It's, I think it's shorter than in the, in the US because we don't have the same regulation here. So yeah. I think I was doing my training for, I think, three or four years. Uh-huh. So not to the same extent as, as you have to over in the US. I think it's, and it's a weird piece, right? Because depending on, we have our undergraduate degree or our bachelor's, and then the master's and then some of the after training. So mine took about four years uh-huh. after the bachelor's. Um, uh-huh. So, okay. So you're in there, you're finished up, you're able to counsel, to counsel independently. Um, when did you decide to open up your own business or shop? Well, I always wanted to have my own practice. I'd always wanted to have my own practice. I'd had a couple of little businesses of my own. And I just really liked working for myself. I really liked being in charge. I'm not very good as an employee, if I'm honest. I'm not very good <laughs> at taking direction and being told what to do. So I, I like being self-employed. I like that, that challenge and the creativity of, you know, the fact that there's a lot of ways that you can grow, grow a practice Mm-hmm. you know what's the right way for me so I, I really enjoyed being able to try this and try this and when I started I started at around about the same time as Facebook started so that was so new there was Facebook there there was blogging which was very new you know everything was really taking off online so it was a very exciting time and it was very different to the traditional marketing of going in the yellow pages or advertising or going in the newspaper so it was it was very difficult, different. And that creativity just really turned me on. I just loved it. Yeah. I think we we're starting about the same time because I was like that space of like the white pages and then also building a website back in the day and people being like, yeah. is that ethical? Can you do that? Do you <laughs> website? Yeah. Is it ethical to go on social media? It was uh, a lot of backlash back at the back in the day. Yeah. There was yeah. so much. And so as you started growing your practice, how long did it take you from the moment that you opened to where you felt like, oh, things are in flow, like I've got this? Yeah, it's difficult, really. Like I say, I had had my two kids who were little at the time and I was working part time and I was on my own and I did struggle a lot with depression back then. So it wasn't a case of, right, you know, I put my big girl pants on and worked at it and it grew and it grew and it grew. I only needed it to be part-time and basically it grew into what I think I needed it to be. So I never had like 20 clients. I had probably about 10 clients. Mm -hmm. And I think as with everybody, I I learned by my mistakes. So I learned about having to constantly keep marketing, 
rather than the whole feast and famine. Because once there was one two week period when four clients finished. Mm-hmm. So, you know, somebody f- finished because they came to the end of counselling and then there was a couple of other reasons. And it was like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> oh, my God, there's four people stopped coming. And that's quite a chunk, isn't it? That's quite yeah. a chunk of income. Yeah. And that made me think, right, we can't have this happening. So, you know, you learn, you learn the most from your mistakes. So I learned through my mistakes until I suppose, I mean, I don't know how long it took because it was a very gradual thing. But I wasn't in any tearing hurry. I didn't say, right, this time next year, I want to have this. It was more a case of I need this to sit with everything that's happening in my life. And it became also something that was mine because it it was something that I enjoyed a lot. So I really enjoyed working with the clients and going through and sitting with the clients gave me, I suppose, a little bit of a break from my own stuff, because when you're in there with a client, you folk, as, as you know, yeah. you focus 100% on them. And whilst you're focusing 100% on them, you get a little bit of respite from anything that's going on yourself, don't you? So, so yeah, I don't have an absolute answer to that. But over, you know, the first, I suppose, five years or so, I, I grew to roughly about 10 clients regularly. Mm-hmm. And that was that was fine. Yeah. What do you think would have happened for you? Like you mentioned, you know, raising small children and and having some depression symptoms. What do you think would have happened if you had felt under the gun of like, you have to make this work, you have to build to some point, like in six months or 12 months, what would have happened to your system if you'd felt that pressure? I think that depends where I would have been in myself. I think if I was feeling quite depressed, that would have been terrifying. But I'm quite a tenacious thing. I'm quite a tenacious thing. And if I have to do something, even if I'm scared, I go, right, how can I make this happen? And I think that's that's one of the things that I'm proud about in myself because, you know, even when my back's against the wall, I'm kind of right, you're not, you're not gonna bring me down. So I kind of come out, not come out fighting, that sounds really aggressive, but it, I have the tenacity of just saying, right, I'm gonna make this happen and you're not gonna stop me. So I kind of do that. So if I have to make something happen, I kind of do. I just I just find a way to do it. So just and I work very well to deadlines. You know, I'm very good at procrastinating, but if I've got a deadline, I'll get something done. So if I had a deadline to get something done, I'd probably make it. Yeah. And I think that's the, I think that's been one of the most beautiful things of starting a business for me is that space of like how we get to know ourselves Mm -hmm. and get to know what, what works and what doesn't, because there isn't a okay, I went to work for this other person and they created this foundation and the structure that either I worked really well and I thrived in, or it's a structure that I just, you know, tanked in and didn't work. And I could kind of go, oh, this is a bad job for me, right? Yeah. In this situation, we're creating the job. We're creating the dynamic. We're creating the structure. Um, and I think that is is a really, really beautiful thing. And even that space of being able to create a structure that says 10 clients with small children and with working through my own, you know, health and growth, like maybe that's like really, truly like enough. Like, can I create a life 
where <clears throat> that's enough. And I don't have to feel this external yeah. pressure of whatever the, um, the amount of clients are. Yeah. And I, I, do you see that in the UK that therapists come in with this very inflated space of like, okay, I need to be seeing 35 clients a week, or I need to be seeing this huge caseload, even if yeah. emotionally that's not viable. Well, I don't know. What I see very often is sometimes it's um, there are very often people with with their counselling, with their with their therapy work being as well as something else. It's not always their full time job. So there are people that do this either with another job, and very often they decide that actually I want to do that full time now. Um, but I think I, I, I think there's something about working for yourself if you allow yourself the chance to settle into it mm-hmm. and try not to, I think we can sometimes think there's, if we're used to being in employment and we know that we have to do this by this, and we have to be here then and we have to do X, Y, and Z. Sometimes when we go into private practice, it can be quite, um, it, it can make us sort of go, oh, God, I don't know what to do because there's such freedom. You can you can do things this way or that way or you can start at this time or that time or work with this client or that client. And there's there's what can, for some people can feel completely freeing and wonderful for somebody else might be like terrifying because there's no structure. So I think sometimes it's about recognising that it's okay to just kind of play about with it until you get to the point of what you want it to be you know what hours do you want to work are you better in the morning or the evening do you like working this way or that way and it's okay to just say right I'm just going to see what this feels like I always say give something a a, you know good good amount of time just to see if you like it and then if you don't like it you can move on to something else that you do enjoy because it's your business. You can build it exactly the way that you want it to be. I mean, it's living the dream, isn't it? It's living the dream that you're working with clients doing the thing that you love in the way that you want to do it. And that you're and you're never locked in. You always can shift and change as long as you're giving yourself permission yes. to shift and yeah. change, right? Yeah. I think in in counseling, there's often this space of we can make a lot of things. We, we can make up, we, I was saying, we can make things up. We can say like, well, that would be unethical. That would be abandoning my client. And you'll be like, well, tell me, what do you mean abandoning my client? Well, if I stop working on Thursdays, that would be abandoning my client. I'm like, no, your schedule changed. You're not going to just not show up on a Thursday, but to like let your client know I'm not available on Thursdays anymore and give them other opportunities. And if that schedule doesn't work, and they decide not to come in, you know, you do a closure with them and you terminate, but none of that's abandonment or, you know, you decide not to take the state insurance or you decide to change your fee or change your, your um, no-show policy or whatever the dynamic is, the, all of those things are, are okay, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. at what point in like the, the counseling journey, right? You mentioned at the beginning, like I'm an ex-counselor now, like I don't do that anymore. I retired (laughs) from counseling. Tell me about that decision and that transition over to what you're doing now. It was a difficult decision, but it was also a really easy decision. So for me, 
like I say, when I started as as a counsellor, started growing my practice, I found the whole marketing stuff so exciting, so creative. I I love and still love writing blogs. I Mm. find them so creative. You know, I just find it a great way to to kind of help people in just a really kind of casual way. Does that sound right? I don't know if that sounds right. I just like the creativity. You can use story. You can use you know, all sorts of ways to get get a point across, I suppose. So I just was really, really interested in all sorts of marketing about uh, websites. Now, I'm not a website expert, but, I, you know, just what to put on a website and, you know, all, all sorts of different things. And I started um, the Lincoln Counselors Network. So here in Lincoln, I started a counselling network and we used to meet on a Saturday and we used to do a bit of training. We used to go for lunch and it was just really lovely. And I noticed that were some brilliant counsellors, really, really good counsellors, but some were struggling to get clients. And I thought, well, why is that? You know, and I started thinking, well, maybe I could help them. So I started dipping my toe into just helping people with what they put on the website and things like that. And then I started thinking, could I do this? I don't know. So I started a couple of little businesses outside of that. So I started a blogging business that I called Friends with Food because my niche at the time was relationships with food. So I had friends with food. And then I changed it to um, janetravis.com, so a different one. And that was self-care for people pleasers. Mm. And I loved it. I really, really loved it. And so I started doing courses for them and did stuff, you know, challenges and loads of blogging, that sort of thing, and a bit of um, coaching. But the thing that got me was uh, the thing that made me stop doing that was I absolutely loved it. But I discovered that people were emailing me with their stories of like pain and cruelty so you know it might be oh my husband's done this or this thing's happened and nobody cares and I'm always whatever it was and I found it was really impacting me because if it's a client sitting in front of me talking about that I know that I'm kind of with them but you get an email from somebody I can't just ignore it but Mm. equally I don't want to engage in it so it was really difficult so I closed it down in the end and then I wanted to start up the Grow Your Private Practice membership, which is a membership. So it's um, a similar kind of thing to you do, but it's not been going as long as you. So. Um, and I thought I'd, I'd really like to do that. And I started to have this thing, um, real anxiety. And I was talking to my friend about it and she says, Jane, it'll be fine. You know, it'll be, and I realized what I was talking to her and she's going, Jane, it'll be fine. You know, it'll be great. Why do you think it's not going to work? And it was like, well, it's not that I don't think it's going to work. It's not that I think it's going to fail. And I, I sort of did a bit of pondering, a little bit of, you know, looking around it. And my worry was what is what would happen if actually it took off and it was really successful? Mm. Because my experience was, then I would have people taking too much of me. Then I would have people contacting me and wanting from me. And because I was, a, they say that we teach what we need to learn, because I was a massive people pleaser myself and still am to a large extent, I was, you know, not very good at boundaries. So when I thought about it, 
And I thought about, right, okay, my my worry isn't that I'm going to fail. My worry is that I'm going to be successful. So how can I protect myself? Mm -hmm. And that was when I started really focusing on boundaries. So that was when I started thinking, right, okay, what boundaries do I need to put in to protect myself? And I think that's something that goes through all of it, right from being a counsellor right to now. I think boundaries are so important and looking after your own space and looking after your own mental space. And and I think that's another reason why, thinking back, I never wanted to be a full-time therapist. I only ever wanted to be a part-time therapist because of the fact it is, I find it draining. I find it very draining. I know there are lots of people that work full-time and they're they're quite happy to work Mm full-time. I used to find it draining. And it might have been because of my circumstances, the fact that I had my kids at home and obviously had depression and all the rest of it. But I I found it draining and I I never wanted to actually be a counsellor full-time. I wanted to be able to be a counsellor and then do something that was to do with counselling on Mm -hmm. the side. And that's where grow your private practice came in because it was an ideal I was still working with counsellors I was kind of indirectly helping people indirectly helping the clients but it meant that I could um kind of keep doing the thing that I loved and isn't that what's wonderful about being counsellors because we have the skills of being a counsellor but then you know those skills are so transferable as well there's so many things that can be done with it I think that's a thing that most counselors and therapists don't really don't really realize. I think that often in our field, we are undervalued and devalued so much that we start to internalize that. Maybe we even brought that in before we became counselors from our history. And so that space of realizing like how powerful it is, is it to be able to like see a family dynamic well, do you know what that looks like in like a corporate office to be able to see the dynamics of how people interact and to see the underlying, oh, here's what's really happening. Here's what you see on the surface, but here's the real issue. That's really powerful to be able to like dive in and to understand how to like have a deep conversation with someone and really hear them and understand them. That applies to so many different types of of businesses and, and companies but because we struggle with understanding our value um, as counselors, I think that we often will feel a sense of suckness and we don't give ourselves the, the freedom or the, um, or the realization, right? In the, in the United States in particular, it's really weird the way that our insurance stuff works, our health insurance stuff but you can literally have a therapist be reimbursed like $35 an hour, right? Which would be what, like 20 euro, right? 20 euro an hour for the exact same service that someone else is getting um, $140 an hour for that same service. And you just go, what is going on? And this person that's being reimbursed the, you know, the 33 or the 20 euro, whatever, however you want to do the math of it, that person could be living in Los Angeles, one of the highest costs of living in the country, and it's not related. But as counselors, right, we often are in the space of we we don't feel confident to say, well, I'm going to say no, like, I'm going to read that contract. I'm a business person now. This is a no. And realizing mm-hmm. that 
Like if I say no to this, it's not, oh, I'm making and I'm making services less accessible. I'm saying no. And now that insurance has to change their dynamics because mm-hmm. they have to make something that's viable for their business. Yeah. The longer that we stay in that space of I'm not good enough, I'm not valuable enough, whatever that dynamic is, then we'll continue to replicate or keep this process going where, and I don't know, in the UK, like in the US, like counselors, therapists, we're the worst paid master's degree, um, like consistently. How is it in the UK right now? I don't know. I can't answer that. Mm -hmm. I think for me, um, I think um, people are now using some of these, um, like, what is it, better help? Is it better help? What is it? They, yeah. That's come over quite a lot. I, I don't want to say a lot about it because I don't know a lot about it. But people are starting to use it because it's um, they're getting clients that way. Mm. And I think the problem is there's just that real – there's, there's this um, – I got people get into counselling because they want to be a counsellor. They don't get into counselling because they want to learn the ins and outs of running a business. So they want to be a counsellor. They're trained to be a counsellor. And then it's like, well, to be in, in private practice, I've got to go through this whole being visible. And, we, you know, you know all the mindset stuff, the being visible thing and the imposter syndrome thing and all of the mindset stuff, the money mindset stuff that's there to trip us up. And it can just feel like a massive hill to climb. And it sometimes feels, I think for a lot of people, it feels like, well, having get, doing that and getting paid less is better than nothing. Mm. And I think, and it's, it, it, like you say, I think it's about not valuing yourself, but it's more than that. It's about just not really knowing what to do. Yeah. Um, and it being too scary. And it is scary. You know, it's not easy, yeah. Um, yeah. but it is doable. It is doable. It really is. And I think this is the part. So I, I did just pull it up. So psychology is one of the worst paid master's degrees in 2022. Um, and it's somewhere between like 20 to 30 euro on average, 30,000 euro per 21 to 32,500 euro per year on average. And I think, I think that there's really a space in terms of what we're doing in graduate training and counseling training that we need to start integrating in the business training. In the when I started in the US, chiropractic was one of the highest paid master's degree. And somehow I got in this conversation with a chiropractor and they said, you know why that is, don't you? I said, no, I have no idea. They said when I went to chiropractic school, um, maybe 30% of the training was about how to do chiropractic. The other 70% was how to run and start a chiropractic business. They integrated it in. Well, over the last, yeah, over the last like 15, 20 years, more and more chiropractic schools are coming out that are very like holistic and client focused. And so they're including more and more of the clinical aspect. Guess what's happening to those chiropractors when they come out? They don't know how to start a business and they're struggling even though they're better prepared to like serve the client. So I I do think there, and I think, I think that you and I are, we're, we're standing in the gap of what's happening out there. But I think if, if, if psychology graduate programs are going to continue, like if they're not going to go into, because there's more people right now that are leaving the field than entering it. 
if we want to keep those programs going, those schools at some point are going to have to say, you know what, we need to start investing in our students because our students are going to ask more questions about are, are people actually employed and how much are they really making? And it, when they start integrating, right? Like UK schools, talk to Jane, you know, like come up with it. <laughs> hey, you graduate from our program and you get six months in this program, you know, like invest. I would, I would, I would love it. I would love to help people that were just coming out. Now I can't. Now for me, the thing, the one thing that I work with is not necessarily new starts. So I say, right, you've got your room, you've got your, you're qualified, and you've got a room. I help you with the marketing. So I'm not really about the absolute new starts, but everything from that, you know, niching and websites and all, all that. But I would love to help with that because it's. I think we just, it's a waste of all of this um, knowledge and skill, all these people that are training and passionate about this. And then they're getting so disillusioned and so upset because it's like, well, I I just so want to work with people. I just don't know how to get them, you know? And and I really feel their pain because it's frustrating, isn't it? It's, It's really frustrating. And unfortunately, I mean, what online tech employers, right? And online mental health employers, we're going to call it that, right? Online mental health employers, fill in the blank as to whatever the names of those that are popping out. They have millions and sometimes, you know, millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars of investors that are coming in because they see the value of mental health and they see it as profitable, Absolutely. As profitable. And very profitable. And they are paying $21, $30 a click to have Mm. somebody click on their ad to go to better help. And all of that money that's being invested in those online tech player employers so they can kind of have the market and they're driving the the cost of services down, which in one sense is fantastic, right? We want therapy to be accessible. But when you talk with a therapist that are working, we have to pay for it. Exactly. We're the ones that are standing in the gap. We are the ones who are actually the people, the, the, all of the other people working there are getting paid really well, Mm -hmm. everybody, but the Mm -hmm. service providers. And then on top of that, they are really pushing the envelope in terms of what's ethical and they are taking the, the conversations that are happening, the text conversations and using it for developing AI. They are taking information out there and like, and like their privacy policies are, are really very broad that any of them and any of their sub- subsidiaries can take the information from all of those clients. And we as therapists and counselors working for these companies and, and not understanding what we're doing we are actually giving them the license to do that. We are actually giving them permission to take advantage of clients because we give them like, I don't know how to say it. Like we give them the thing that says like, oh yeah, of course this is an ethical appropriate place because otherwise I wouldn't be able to get counseling and therapy here. Here are these graduate level, you know, trained people who are coming in and saying this is okay and validating this resource. And you've got people there that are really ethical and really, um, really like in the in the in the UK we've got GDPR, so we've got all of that. We know about all these things to do with being ethical, but then 
I suppose we think that this is more ethical. I can't say a lot about I'm saying this. I'm, I'm saying this just from my gut about it because I haven't looked into it. What I do know about it is it, it seems that um, what is happening in the back end is maybe not what people think. That's, a, that's an accurate thing. Having had looked into it and looked in the privacy policies, I think that's accurate. And it seems to be um, pretty, pretty consistent. And I think ultimately, right, having surveyed a lot of therapists that are working for them, they say, well, they had this calculator on the website that said, here's how much you can make. And it looked great. Like I could make six figures while working part time. Like that sounds fantastic. And then they're like, oh, I'm working 60 hours a week. I have 45 clients. And I'm barely bringing home this amount. And now I'm in a space where, like in some of these cases, they do it by word count. And once you go over a certain amount of like the word count, you're not getting paid anymore. So the clients that are most in crisis who have the highest word count, you now have to decide, well, now I'm not going to get paid for this client anymore, but this client's suicidal. So I'm going to have to keep responding. So I'm not getting paid for this work that I'm doing, like it's, it's pretty messy. It's like really pretty messy. And then you have all of these high level, you know, these fancy um, influencers that don't understand that aren't looking deeply who are like, Oh, this is great. Therapy is great. And then they're getting paid to promote therapy. But they don't realize. I've noticed often on podcasts now, they are sponsoring all sorts of podcasts comedy podcasts just yeah. like all sorts of podcasts yeah so that name is sort of out there isn't it it's everywhere yeah. it is they're they're working really hard and I think yeah. that's a piece that we as like therapists and counselors really have to take ownership of understanding what's happening mm-hmm. really diving into that and deciding and saying and, and for those of us who have the privilege of right I have the privilege of saying, you know what, I'm, I would never, no matter what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would go happily, let me work for a nonprofit. Like I worked for a nonprofit for $16 an hour with a master's degree. Happily, I will do that before mm-hmm. I will go do that for this big tech person. This mm-hmm. big tech person is not going to get my heart and my emotions. Yeah. They're not going to do it. And, and I think, exact- sorry, don't oh, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, this is exactly why I didn't ever want to be a full-time counsellor, because it is hard. It is really hard work. Yeah. You know, that I know I had no idea how hard it was. I had no idea how hard it was. And that's why I only ever wanted to do part-time, because I just, it's just so hard. So it's really tough work. Yeah, it is. You know, you're having to listen to people's pain and their stories and, hold all of that and see what are they saying what aren't they saying how are they sitting you know it's all the comp you know the hour that you're with them you are on completely and the second you think oh did I take the sausages out of the freezer they say that thing and you can <laughs> and you're like oh no who, who are they talking about here's what I here's, here's the way that I really love to um to think about clinical work and clinical hours at this point in life I like to think of it as sunlight right? Every hour with clients is sunlight. And sunlight can be so beautiful. It's the way that I create vitamin D. If I don't get the sun, if it's too gray for too long, I have an issue. But I'm also very fair skinned. 
And if I get too much sun in too short of a period of time, or if I get too bright of a sun in the middle of the day, I'm going to get burnt. I'm going to get a cancer. So for us to identify what is the healthy amount of sunshine, what do I need in between? Um, And to create the dynamic of, you know, I think for a lot of like for me doing intense trauma work, 15 clients full time. And Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, it deserved a full-time income because even with those 15 clients and then doing the marketing of it and doing the notes or dealing with crisis stuff, that was still easily 24 to 30 hours a week. And honestly, I needed the rest of the time to recover and rest for that work. And I really got to a point of just honoring that. And other people would say, oh, you only work 15 hours a week. Well, A, I don't. B, even if I did... That's enough, right? That's enough. And guess what? I do get to charge the the amount that it really takes to do this work and to be fully present. So I'm not falling asleep. I'm not checked out. I'm not burnt out. None of the rest of it, you know? There's so many juicy conversations, Jane. I know we're going like long. We could talk for hours. And for those of you, like as we're as we're wrapping up. I'm going to be on Jane's podcast and we're going to get to chat even more. So definitely yeah. go and check that oh, out. Yes. Is it, check out grow your private, the grow your private practice show. Yeah. Go and check it out. You'll be on there soon. Yes. <laughs> It'll be really <laughs> fun. Okay. So as we kind of wrap up into this space and kind of like pulling this all together, things that I hear, right. Is one really understanding who you are, and what you desire as you move into this into this work, understanding where your limitations are, knowing that you're really valuable, like you have really valuable skills yeah. that you yeah. can grow and shift throughout your business in your career lifetime into whatever kind of other thing you might want to do. And you're still using those skills that you have. You don't have to always be a counselor mm-hmm. to use your counseling skills. And you don't have to necessarily go and have a part-time, another job either. Like you can do this as full-time work if you wish and find a balance financially. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes it's about um, trusting the process, trusting yourself, trusting your instinct and realizing that you are in charge. You can make it be whatever you want it to be, literally. Yeah, it's like I say, it's so it's just, it's living the dream. I think it's living the dream. And I think it's, it's a beautiful thing that what we do impacts. And I know that's something like, you know, you talked about that place of, you know, what does that mean that I get to indirectly help so many clients, right? That place of, I still know that I'm still a trauma therapist, even though I have retired from therapy, but the work that I'm doing is working with counselors trauma from a different perspective. Yeah. I'm working through their money trauma and their self-worth trauma and the ways that their childhood trauma is showing up in their business. I'm just doing it from this other perspective. Yeah. That's like really powerful, but I can like see the bigger picture of it. And it's kind of magic, you know? Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. So go and check out Jane at the grow your private practice, grow your practice show. Um, Jane Travis.co.uk, right? That's right. Yeah. 
fantastic or growyourpractice.co.uk. And until next time, you all just remember that you're valuable, you're really needed, and that you have so many more options than you realize. Until next time, y'all. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. I hope that today was exactly what you needed and gave you some amazing inspiration. If this was helpful for you, go and rate us wherever you listen to this podcast. And of course, remember, we have the Business School for Therapists. If you need help starting, growing, or revamping your successful solo or group practice, we're here for you. Work with therapists all over the world. Check us out at zinnime.com. You can also click on free and we have over 10 hours of free webinars to help you figure out your private practice. So you don't have to pay us a dime. Come and check it out. I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice head over to zinnime.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.